Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? Stir up a Tito's dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that refuses to leave Santa milk and cookies. Instead, it's a cigar and bourbon. He is the captain. Ho, 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 and a bottle of rum. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight, tonight, we are drinking Christmas Ale by the jolly folks up at Great Lakes Brewing Company, garage grade four candy canes out of five. Christmas Ale has an ABV of 7.5 and a Yuletide's worth of holiday spices, including cinnamon and ginger, and it's got quite a bit of fresh honey as well to keep you a-wassling all night long. And Christmas Ale was brought to us by these happy little elves. First up, we have Courtney in New York who says she loves the captain's music. It sets the mood and makes the show very polished. And another wassailer, we have Barbara in Oak Ridge, North Carolina. Next up, we have Evelyn in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Also in that state up north, we have Becky in Charlotte, Michigan. Happy holidays to all the bastards up north. And all the way over in Sweden, we give a long-distance cheers to Oliver. Oh, Oliver, did you eat all your porridge? Next up, we have Nick in Norwell, Massachusetts. And last but not least, we have Deborah, who says she listens while being stuck in cubicle jail down in San Antonio, Texas. If you can't do the time, then don't do the crime. So a big cheers and happy holidays to everyone. And remember to check out TrueCrimeGarage.com. We have our blog, we have our store page, and we have our beer fund there as well. Make sure you tell a friend, make sure you subscribe, make sure you leave a five-star review on iTunes. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
continue following all new developments in the murder of a Beechwood woman. We just spoke with Cleveland police who tell us they are still looking for a suspect. Aliza Sherman was stabbed to death behind the Galleria in downtown Cleveland on Sunday. The coroner's office said today she was stabbed 11 times. We know that surveillance cameras in the area captured the attack. That video is now in the hands of Cleveland police. Sherman was the mother of four and a nurse at the Cleveland Clinic. She was stabbed to death after leaving her divorce attorney's office. March 24th, 2013, Cleveland, Ohio. Jennifer Sherman was at the end of a long Sunday study session when she received a text message from her 17-year-old brother, Jeremy. The text read, Are you with mom or do you know where she is? Jeremy is asking his older sister, Jennifer, about their mother, Aliza. Aliza had gone out hours ago. She stated before leaving that she had errands to run and when she came home, she promised to bring back pizza. Mm-hmm. And now Jeremy was hungry, and he is still waiting for his mother to return. For most of the day, Jennifer had silenced her phone while cramming for an exam. She's a uh, college student. Jennifer's mother, Eliza, had in fact sent a text message to her earlier that day. This would be around 2.55 p.m., to say that she was meeting with her attorney, Gregory Moore, at his downtown Cleveland office. And her son, Jeremy, he's 17 at the time. And why would Eliza be going to see an attorney? Well, this is because she's going to meet with him to discuss the final preparations for her divorce proceedings. The proceedings were going to take place that same week, in just a couple of days, in fact. So, The date in question, the date that we're discussing here is March 24th. It's a Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's my understanding that these proceedings were supposed to start on Tuesday, on that Tuesday. So just two days later. Now, at this point, it's 7.45 p.m. That's when Jennifer received the text from her little brother. So this is late. This, According to Jennifer, this is late for there to be a concern from her brother about her mother's whereabouts. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, as we said, is older than Jeremy, so she does not live at home with Jeremy and their mother, Eliza. And she gets this text, and so now she's worried about her mother. Jennifer's extremely close with her mother. They spoke or they hung out nearly every day. So at a little after 7.45 p.m., Jennifer called Eliza's cell phone trying to get a hold of her. No matter when Jennifer had called her in the past, Aliza would always pick up the phone, but this time was different. Mm-hmm. The mother, her mother did not answer her phone. Jennifer tried a second time, again nothing. So she called Jeremy. She called to try to figure out where Aliza could be. Maybe, you know, where did mother where could she have gone? Right. Well, their their mother also was a nurse. So maybe they're thinking that it's possible she got called into work. Possibility. Uh, mm-hmm. The the information that she gets from Jeremy is that before she had left, Aliza told Jeremy that she was heading to their grandmother's house. The grandmother lived in Cleveland Heights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Aliza was going there to get some medicine. And then she was going to run errands. And then we remember we said return home with the pizza for her and Jeremy for dinner. 
Now, the grandmother, her name is Doris. Sorry. Doris, their grandmother, had a home in Cleveland Heights, but she also lived in Florida. Mm-hmm. On this day, on March 24th, 2013, Doris is at her Florida home. So after getting this information from her younger brother, Jeremy, Jennifer called her mother one more time. and Right, but let's just think about that for a second. She could be still checking on the house or something, right? She, she might not be visiting her mom, but she might be checking on her mother's house. Yeah, well, the, okay, so there's there's a lot of thought that that you should probably put into this. And and I know these are probably things that were going through Jennifer's mind at the time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so we have, you know, there there's this moment when someone you love and someone you care about, they're they're essentially missing even though it's just for an hour or two or a couple of hours and it's starting to get later and you're starting to get concerned. It, it does get very concerning when you're trying to call them and they're not responding to your calls. People that, that live with this person, they're wondering where she could be mm-hmm. for a few hours now. And so for some of us, your mind starts to race for others. You know, you start to play a little head detective. What are the possibilities? Where could this person be? Where do I go first to look for her? And that's what you have to look into here. We have Doris, the grandmother, like you said, even though she's out of town, she could still need to stop by the house. She could still need to check on the place, pick up the mail, who knows. But the, but what Jennifer is thinking about here when she goes through these possibilities is she's remembering the text that she got from her mother at two fifty-five that afternoon, mm-hmm. stating that her mother was going to see her attorney Gregory Moore at his downtown Cleveland office. I, from my understanding, that's about as much information as what Eliza provided her daughter in that text. Jennifer's thoughts are this: she may have used Doris's home, may have used the grandmother's home as an excuse to leave, stating, "Hey, I got to drop by grandmother's house." I'm also going to run some errands, pick up a pizza. Mm-hmm. The reason being is that she's very close to her mother and she knew that Eliza was keeping kind of keeping the information regarding the divorce a little, a little quiet, a little on the hush and hush with inside the house. And especially with Jeremy, he's the youngest of four children. Right. And he's pretty sensitive about the parents splitting up. So she may have just simply used this as, you know, this is this is why I'm going to be gone, but I'm actually going to my attorney's mm-hmm. uh, for a meeting. So after Jennifer gets off the phone with her younger brother, Jeremy, she gets that information from him. Now she's going to try to call her mother one more time. And now she got no answer. This time she hung up the phone and she called Gregory Moore's office, Eliza's attorney. There was no answer at the attorney's office as well. I think the issue here, Captain, is is more of not so much where could she be, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a little vague when someone says, hey, I'm I'm going out and running some errands or, you know, I have this one meeting to go to. But then you talk to your brother and it seems like there's a possibility if she had several other places to go to as well. I think that's not so much the concern. I think the concern for Jennifer and probably for Jeremy as well is. Anytime we called our mother in the past, she picked up the phone or text her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's the big concern there is why is our mother not answering her phone? 
So that's when well, and I think that and also, you know, sometimes when something bad happens to a family member that you just have an intuition about you that you just kind of feel something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that wholeheartedly. At this point, Jennifer, very concerned, she decides to run out to her car and she's going to take off in search of her mother. Now, there's a lot of things that are probably going through her head. Maybe maybe Eliza was in some kind of accident, some kind of car accident, never made it downtown to see her attorney. Maybe her maybe it was something as simple as her phone is dead, or mm-hmm. broken or lost. Uh, the only trouble with that, it doesn't fully explain Eliza's absence. You know, if her phone were dead or lost, you would think she would return home at some time. Mm-hmm. While she's out looking for her mother, while Jennifer's out looking for Eliza, she gets a phone call. Finally, she thought her mother had returned home, but that turns out not to be the case. This is Doris calling Jennifer's phone. Doris is the grandmother. She had been trying to reach Eliza for hours that day. Doris told Jennifer that Eliza's brother, Harry, had tried calling Eliza a couple times that day as well, mm-hmm. but Eliza never answered her phone. So Jennifer drove around frantically by this point looking for her mother. After a while, her phone rang again. This time it was Jeremy calling her back. Jeremy had had some troubling and disturbing news. The Cleveland Police Department had called him. They mm. called the house, and they were on their way to the Sherman household, and they wanted to talk to the family. Now, Jeremy, Eliza, and Sanford live at this home. Sanford is Eliza's husband, who she's working on splitting up with, you know, getting separated from permanently. Right, and so seems like he was out of town a lot on business. Mm-hmm. And then... well. Personal business. Yeah. Yeah. With, there's some question marks there, but it seems like he's out of town a lot. And then possibly that he was staying like somewhere else here and there or like staying with a friend. So, cause anybody that's been through a divorce hears that they're living together all the way to the end of the divorce. Uh, sometimes that happens, but most of the time it doesn't. I mean, and, and normally you're fighting so much that you don't want to be under the same roof. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that, um, he was often at the home. I think for the purpose of, as far as the postal service is concerned, he lived there. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, I think you're right. Captain. Mail there. I think Sanford was not required to be there, nor did he at times One choose to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now after getting this phone call from her younger brother, Jennifer raced to the, her mother's home. Um, she called her boyfriend while she was on the way and asked if he could meet her at her parents' place. Well, this is never a good sign. I mean, no. Okay. If the police department is saying, hey, we'd like to talk to you, uh, but we're not going to tell you what it is until we get there, you know, somebody's dead. Well, that phone call would be bad enough, but let's top that off with you've spent now time looking, trying mm-hmm. to track down your mother. So not only do you have concern that something bad has happened as, to a loved one, mm-hmm. you might have a good idea which loved one it is at this point. Well, right. And But if she was in a car accident, you would assume that the police would just say, hey, your mother was in an accident and she's at such and such hospital. Or unless she passed away in that car accident. I, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I only say that from experience. I know somebody that died in a car accident and I was notified face to face 
from a police officer. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually, I had no clue why the police officer wanted anything to talk to me about. And the drugs in your basement. And I found out that, that somebody that I knew had, had died that day in a car accident. Anyway, so we have Jennifer. She's racing to her parents' home. Uh, she's called her boyfriend, asking him to meet her there. She gets there about 10 minutes after receiving the call from Jeremy. When she got there, she asked Jeremy to join her outside. It was cold that night, but she and Jeremy were going to wait for the police inside her car. Mm-hmm. They did this because they this was of Jennifer's choosing, let's say. She wanted to do this leaving her father, their father, Sanford, inside the home by himself. Jennifer's boyfriend arrived at the Sherman home shortly after and waited with Jeremy and Jennifer for the police. It took a while for the police to arrive, and it was two detectives. Well, hold on a second, because you would assume that the daughter would want to be with her father. Um, but, but that's not the case. That's definitely not the case here. Okay, so maybe a little foreshadowing of family dynamic. Well, the three of them waited outside, and when the police arrived, it was two detectives, and they did not have good news. The detectives told the two members of the Sherman family that their mother had been attacked earlier Mm -hmm. that day. The detectives told Jennifer and Jeremy that that just after 5.30 p.m., the police, along with an ambulance, Mm And EMTs, they had responded to a 911 call. Their mother had been attacked and she had been stabbed repeatedly Mm. and was found clinging to life just about 25 to 30 feet from the entryway to the building that housed her attorney's law firm's office. Mm -hmm. An employee that was on the fourth floor of 75 Erie View Plaza. Now, from my understanding, this is not the same building that Eliza was attempting to go into. Um, So this man, sorry, his name is Kenny Shepard. He says he heard screams. And when he heard screams, he rushed downstairs and outside. By the time he had arrived to Eliza, she was struggling to stand. She's, Mm -hmm. She's falling over. Blood was coming out of her mouth. Kenny Shepard immediately called 911. The dispatch answered, 911, what is your emergency? Kenny yelled into his phone, Cleveland, Ohio, hurry, it's bad. The dispatcher asked, what's bad? Kenny says, this lady, she's been attacked. I don't know if it was gunshots. I don't know if if she was stabbed. She's bleeding pretty bad, yeah. The operator could hear Kenny shouting at Aliza as he tried to help her. Right, and Aliza's not just laying there. Well, he's, he can be heard. Kenny can be heard telling her to stay on the ground, right? He's saying, don't move, stay on the ground. Don't get on your feet, stay on the ground. So she's trying to get up. She, yeah. By this point she had fallen and she's trying to get up. He's, I mean, she's in in horrible shape by Mm -hmm. this point to the point where you hear Kenny saying he's begging her, stay with me. Okay. Stay with me. Please stay with me. Mm -hmm. At that point, Aliza tried to cry out, but he couldn't understand anything she was, was saying right when she, when Aliza tried to talk again, this time Aliza coughed up blood instead of making an audible sound or putting together words. Right. Kenny rolled Aliza onto her stomach, trying to get the blood out of her, her throat and mouth. He's telling the dispatcher, there is blood everywhere. I've never seen this much blood. 
Then he can be heard. Then he could hear the sirens coming and he shouted, lady, stay with me. All right. They are coming. They are coming. Then back to the operator, the operator, he's, he's telling the operator she's going fast. This lady's going fast. Right. Aliza was eventually taken by ambulance to the emergency room of Metro Health Medical Center, where at 6.14 p.m. on March 24th, 2013, Aliza Sherman, a devoted mother of four, was pronounced dead. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer, or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it Absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we're back. Cheers and happy holidays to everybody. I'm sure at this point, Captain, the detectives have plenty of questions for Elisa's family. Even, you know, I'm sure that Elisa's family have even more questions for the detectives. Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when the detectives show up, they don't have many answers for Elise's family. They they show up with the arsenal full of questions of their own. The probably the first question I would have, and I'm sure most people on the uh, in the public had as well, is you know because this could be a big situation. This could be a big question to answer. Mm-hmm. This could eliminate a lot of potential suspects and. Was this a random attack or was this a planned attack? Because at first glance, 
you have the elements here that could lead you or lead one to conclude either. So an attack on the streets downtown, downtown Cleveland, big city would point to a very random attack killed on the way to a scheduled agreed upon appointment. Maybe not random because others know you are going to be in that location at that time. And why are you going there? Going there to basically finalize your divorce, you know, because you have a hearing in two days. The di- the divorce process starts or the hearings start in two days. Yes. And this, from my understanding, has been a very long, drawn out and messy divorce. So was this a random attack or was it a planned attack? Now, I remember when this case first broke that they were interviewing a lot of people, especially women who had to walk around in the downtown area that walked to work, uh, that, that took their lunches outside. And that was the big panic at the time. Was this a totally random attack? Could anybody in that location be attacked? Well, that could happen in any city in any major city. There could be some yay who walking around with a knife or a gun attacking people all willy nilly. So what does the crime scene tell us, Captain? Well, first off, the first thing we should notice is it's about 5.30 p.m. when Eliza was attacked. Mm-hmm. So, so it's light out. It's still light out. That's a very risky attack. It's very cold out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they transported Eliza to the hospital, they sent with her her purse. So right. no purse was taken mm-hmm. during the course of this attack. Aliza also wore a sapphire ring on her right hand. She wore a necklace with the Star of David and her grandfather's wedding ring on this necklace around her neck. Mm-hmm. All of these items were still on Aliza's person. Right. doesn't mean it wasn't an attempted robbery. Sometimes people try to rob somebody that doesn't go their way, then they're attacking them, and then they got you know caught up in the attack, and now that's like, well... I need to get out of here. I mean, this is daylight. We don't want somebody seeing me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, however, I would, I would lean towards the side of no robbery. I mean, right, right. Me too. I'm this would be the most bungled possible. <laughs> this would be an extremely bungled, uh, robbery. So no robbery. Uh, that's not the motive in my opinion. I know that, uh, I'm quick to remind everyone that, uh, you know, you can't easily predict crazy, violent behavior. So someone attacked and stabbed on the street could just simply be a violent, mentally disturbed individual who attacked that person. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times in cases that involve such an attack uh, where the perp is so far gone, so disturbed and out of control that they're often found still with the person that they attacked. And obviously this is not the situation when, when Kenny Shepard found Aliza, there was nobody present with her. Mm-hmm. She was attacked and she was falling to the ground. The other thing that's curious here, one thing that I think the 911 call reveals, and I find this very interesting. The 911 it, call that Kenny makes. Correct. Okay. That Eliza is trying to communicate something to Kenny. He, you know, the young man, the good Samar- Samaritan who heard her screams and responded and called for help. Mm-hmm. She seems to be trying to tell him something or communicate something to him. Now, what she was trying to say, we may never know. However, there is a chance she was trying to communicate to him 
that maybe she knew who her attacker was. Right. Or maybe there could have been something that she recognized about her attacker, an article of clothing or something he or she may have said to her as she was being attacked. Yeah. And also she's a nurse, so there's a possibility she was trying to give him some instructions on maybe how to help her. That's that is that's interesting that you say that. I did not think of that, and that, that could be a very likely possibility here. As far as the investigation goes, we do have it took a couple days, um, but you know, shortly after we have the police on record saying in interviews, asking the public for help stating that they firmly believe this was some form of planned attack, that someone that knew Eliza had attacked her that day and killed her that day. Right, and so motive, we start, I mean, you're going to start finger-pointing right away to the husband Mm -hmm. because where is she heading to? She's heading to her attorney's office to talk about the divorce where she's separating, she's cutting off ties with you. Yeah. And then I believe it was about two days after the murder. There's rumblings in the media that there may be surveillance footage from the attack itself. Mm-hmm. You know, as we stated, this is a busy downtown area. There are foot, there's cameras posted on a lot of these buildings and parking garages. And that's just the thing. It, it took a while for the police to come out and outwardly say it. But uh, the huge break that they get in the case comes when they get a grainy surveillance video that showed someone running away from the scene just moments after the attack on Eliza. Now, I kind of compiled some of the thoughts uh, reported in several publications after they released this footage. Mm -hmm. The footage that was released was about 10 seconds long, and the... The footage itself, it was retrieved from a surveillance camera mounted outside of a nearby parking garage. Yeah, but it's 10 seconds long in, in total length, but they actually have multiple angles. Mm-hmm. So I think the official clip that the police released was like 53 seconds or something like that. But I'll, I'll actually copy that and put that on uh, truecrimegarage.com so you can check it out there. And I'll try to post um, most of the clip or at least parts of the clip on Instagram as well. And that's at True Crime Garage. The video showed a hooded figure wearing jeans and a green jacket. Several publications reported the person may have had a limp. The per- this person appears to not only be in a hurry, but also trying to disguise themselves to the point where it's difficult to even make out the individual's gender or race. Well, let's uh, take a look at this video. Because, you know, video stuff always makes for good podcasting. <laughs> so some of the initial thoughts about this video to me is, one, it's coming from like a parking garage. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple problems with this camera angle anyways. Is There's a sign on the top left. It's an entrance sign. And then you have a pillar in front, which has a big park sign mm-hmm. you know often parking garage has those things but that's really kind of distorting the focus so when you look at the video you can see the entrance sign that's really close to the camera that's in focus the first pillar isn't is in good focus as well everything else after that is a little fuzzy or out of focus so it's not a good quality of camera anyways right. but they're focusing on things that aren't moving 
So it's well, not top notch quality on the camera, but the, the thing that really makes it tough is that it's the angle. Like you said, this camera appears to me to be positioned to catch something going on in the street itself. Right. And this individual who's fleeing the scene of the crime is running on the sidewalk and, mm-hmm. and it is to the right of, of what the camera is angled at to actually pick up. Yeah, so, maybe not. But like I said, maybe not the angle, but how the camera is actually focusing. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, yeah, the angle is set up, you know, not great for what we're trying to look at. But because of the angle, everything else is out of focus. Yeah. So to give you an idea for those of you who have not seen this video before, it, when you blow it up on your computer screen or TV screen, the individual that you see fleeing, they're basically in the bottom right hand corner of your screen and very pixelated. Exactly. And the thing is, the things that we stated earlier were all things that were stated in the local media at the time. And one of the things saying the video showed a hooded figure. Um, I've heard some talks. Is this a hoodie that this individual is wearing? This appears to me to look more like a coat, um, almost a, a a light winter coat. Right. So let's just talk about the suspect's dress. Mm-hmm. What do you see them dressed in? So the newspapers said wearing jeans, and I found one article that says a green jacket. I agree with the jeans. That looks to me very much like some... some A hue of blue, right? Some dad or mom jeans, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the they're not super stylish jeans. They're just the kind of uh, straight leg, dark blue jeans, traditional. As far as the coat goes, where it says where this publication called it a green coat or green jacket, I don't know that I see green. It looks to me like the parking sign that you talked about it is probably a blue color, a painted on blue color. And if right. if that's the case, when this individual walks past or runs past this sign, his coat is significantly darker than that blue parking sign. Right. Well, and the trouble with this video footage, too, is that everything that's out of focus on the right-hand side of the screen, it's out of focus, and it should just be black, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what a camera should pick that up because it's going into the parking garage, so that's where it gets darker. So it should be a tint of black. For whatever reason, um, it's a tint of green. So from further back, you see this suspect, and you go, okay, blue jeans, black hoodie or coat. Mm-hmm. Okay, then when it runs past this tinted area, the the coat looks like a hint of green, like it's a really dark green. Maybe a forest green, dark green. Right, but I think that tint is coming from, you know, this distortion of the camera. So I believe that this individual is wearing black shoes, probably blue jeans. Um, and a, and, bl- and a, a black, black or a very dark jacket or coat. Right. And this person has the hood up, as we stated, long sleeve coat. And when the when the individual gets closer to the camera, it almost looks to me like the face is concealed with something as well. Yeah, I think. Um, let's just watch it again real quick. So it's weird. Like uh, there's two angles. They're going to show you the suspect coming at the camera, running towards the camera. And then they also show you the reverse angle of the suspect running away from a different camera. Cause you can actually, you can see, see the, uh, the second camera that's going to show the, the suspect, right? That's on the pillar with the, the park sign. So 
and it's weird because like when the suspect's running towards you, if we want to talk about is this male or female, when the suspect's running towards you, to me, I go, eh, it's a, that's a dude, right? That's a dude running. That's first my first thought as well. And then on the second angle, when it's when the suspect's running away from you, to me, I go, that's a chick all day long, like instantly. Okay, so I, to describe the person, this person <laughs> a- appears to be... I'm not saying male or female. I'm saying dude dude or chick. This this person appears to be of of average weight. Like, I don't see somebody that's super thin. I don't see somebody that's overweight. The right, problem right, I right. have, and do you do you want to hear Captain? Do you want to hear Colonel Christmas get angry right here? Okay. I hate when they release these videos. I mean, I know that it's necessary, but when you release them, please give us some information. I mean, okay. First of all, we you can't give us any kind of general thought as to the height of this person, and maybe they just don't know. But come out. Well, and, it's not that hard to find this stuff out. And that's what I'm pointing. That's why I'm pointing at this portion of the video right here, Captain. You see where this individual is running past these signs to yep. their left. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you could use those signs to give us a general idea of the height of this person. This coat is too big for this individual. Yes, it's long. It hangs past the waistline, but not and, even long. I mean, you can even see that there's excess on the sides. Mm-hmm. Almost like maybe this is a guy's jacket, but a girl is wearing it. And, you know, when we talked about, when we covered the Missy Beavers case a long time ago, uh, there was video footage of the believed assailant of her. And they were able to give us a general description of, of height. Now, mind you, it probably varied by, what, six or seven inches? It didn't vary by that much. I mean, it was enough that they could rule out the husband mm-hmm. because his height was like six three or something. Especially there, look, the individual just walks, just runs past that Valvoline sign, and it and is very close to the Valvoline I mean, this sign. This is a small person. This is this that's, person's not six foot. I bet, and that's I bet what this I believe. Person is not even five five. And I know that there's things like um, with graphic uh, designers and stuff, they can measure. You know, if they know the height of this wall. Right. Then they could measure the person. I I don't know how to do that. Um, and also, you have this car here. That car parked there. I or? didn't realize there was a vehicle there. You're right. That is a vehicle. Yeah. So I. But to that, me, that this makes is a sense because small in the f- person five, under five five. Which again, like I said, the when the suspect's coming towards you, um, my gut feeling is that's a dude. But when you watch him from the back, it's a chick. It's I mean. You can almost see the hips as they're running, and and like I said, we're we're talking about a small person. If this if this individual is under five four, then I mean, what are the chances that that's a guy? There's, I you know, like our Australian friends say, I don't know that I would go full on to to believe full on man, yeah, to believe that the person's shorter than five. What did you say, five five? Yeah, I think I easily. I think this person's probably five, two, five, three. And I don't know that I would go full on to say that it's a female, but I'm leaning that way. I agree with you. It's it, it doesn't. It, the person is not tall. See I would right not there. describe the person as tall. See how it's more of an hourglass figure there. 
And I agree with you. It does look more like a female, especially when we see the backside, when we see them running from the camera. Yeah, I mean, not toward the camera. But Colonel here's the, Christmas has seen a lot of females from the backside. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the thing is, though, what about the motion of this individual running? Because what many of the publications has has said possibly with a limp. Um, this is another thing I get a little bit angry about what, I mean, let's, can we get a, a legitimate opinion of the police that, you know, are we looking with somebody for a limp? Because here's where I question the limp. I can see what they're talking about. There is a little hitch in this person's get along, right? Right. But their giddy up has a little bit of a hitch, but the problem with it is I can't tell if that's a camera trick or not. And what I mean by that is this camera, it's, it doesn't seem to be a full motion camera. Right, it seems like it's a uh, slower frames. Yeah, so where so it almost looks uh, like there's little glitches while they're running. Yeah, like it, the the image it doesn't bounce. That's not the right word, but it it jumps from from frame to frame to frame to frame. Right, to frame. right, right. I'm 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 just guessing this person's not an avid runner, and that's why I wonder if there's actually any kind of limp or if it's just uh, something that the camera is putting off. With well, that. right, but I would just argue, hey, everybody that hasn't run in the last year, go outside and run the block. T- tell me how smooth you feel while you're running. Yeah. I mean, so th- the limp or whatever, the little hitch in the giddy-up, the little hitch in the giddy-up, partner, um, maybe what they're seeing is just, again, it's either a glitch or they're seeing somebody that's just not an avid runner that just doesn't have a comfortable, smooth stride. And you know what? That that leads me to believe something I've felt every time I've watched this. I don't know that I agree that there's a limp there. I'm with you. I see somebody that's not comfortable running at that speed, has probably not run that distance or that speed in some time. Therefore, I think I'm looking at someone older. And, and I don't want, you know, nobody panic. Uh, oh, you know, don't freak uh, out that I'm calling anybody old. But what I mean is, I feel like I'm looking at somebody that's similar in age to our victim. Our victim was 53 years old on this day. I think that I'm seeing somebody just by that movement. No. Captain almost looks to me like somebody like mid forties to, to late fifties. No, no, this, this person's younger. You think younger? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the weird thing too, is when you watch the video where the suspects coming towards you, you're going to see, the the left arm, the 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 right arm is just swinging all willy nilly. Looks like Steven Seagal running. You know, if you have ever seen those videos, mm-hmm. have you seen those? The videos of Steven Seagal running. Yeah, I've seen Steven Seagal movies. Okay, he has gotta, run in some of those movies. Yeah, but when you watch him run, it's awful. He's the worst <laughs> runner ever. Uh, there's that's because he's a fighter, man. He's, sh- <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he is. He stands there and fights uh, you. He doesn't run. Yeah, okay. He he runs in a lot of his movies, and he's not good at running. But so the arm is just kind of flailing away. The right arm, mm-hmm. the left arm is kind of tucked, almost like it's holding a football. You think that they're concealing the knife that was used to kill Eliza? Yeah, but it doesn't seem like there's, eh, you know, well, what are those things in Star Wars? Because that's the thing that gets me is even as the perpetrator gets closer, it's like. There's something over the face. Oh, there's definitely something over there the face. Is n- there's not even a shadow where you could even... Yeah, you don't see a nose at all. Yeah. This, 
We are looking for an individual with no nose. Right. No nose, no eyes. It's almost like the hoodie is like zipped up over their head. No, it looks to me like they're they're wearing some kind of um No, I'm just saying because of the pixelation. Oh yeah, yeah. That it's just like it's just a black blob on their yeah, face. Yeah, the the face is the same color as the hood and the jacket. In the face. Uh so may It's so, the ghost of Christmas future. Yeah, I don't know about that. But yeah, but see there. There's gloves on that person too. Yeah, and then also when the when you see the backside of the individual is when you see more of the tint that maybe the coat is gray right at the first part when you see the backside. And you one thing that you This is making great podcasts. One thing that we didn't point out though um mm-hmm. as far as the clothing goes and I know that usually logos and things like that tend to be small but you don't see anything that would distinguish what type of brand or clothing any of this is. It's right. it's it's like this person picked out the most plain Jane outfit that they could um to not be recognized by anything. I mean but, it's but dark the- shoes, jeans, dark coat and something covering the the face and gloves on the hands. But even the pants look too big. That's why I think on some level it's like, you know, pants for men or a jacket for a man, but uh, a chick's wearing it. Well, and I ask if you think that with that left hand that they're trying to conceal the murder weapon because police searched for the murder weapon at the scene of the crime. They searched all over the area. They even checked the rooftops of nearby buildings. Mm-hmm. And this turned up nothing. They found they never found a knife uh, that they believe was used in this attack. They also right, searched. Right, but they believe they definitely, definitely know that she was stabbed with a knife. I well, mean, I just want to be clear about that. They yeah. just never found the weapon. Yeah, and they also searched the Sherman residence as well for knives, and none of the knives that they found in that household matched uh, what they believed the knife to have been used. Now, one thing they did not, um, they did they released that she was stabbed 11 times, mm-hmm. but they did not release the size or what type of knife that they believe to have been used. Right. You'd assume that it's, you know... This is an attack that you know is going to happen outside your lawyer's building, her lawyer's building. Like we said, is this random? I mean, there is a possibility, but everything kind of points to the fact that somebody knew that should be there and knew that should be there at that time, and that's when the attack is going to go down. So, I don't know. And then the difficult thing here is then, so you go, okay, well, if it's not a random attack, well, then who's the number one suspect here? Who should we look into first? The husband. They're getting a divorce. This thing could get messy. And we kind of know from uh, some more research that there was some stuff before the divorce that was kind of messy anyways. Mm-hmm. But as far as size-wise, if this is the husband, what we see on this camera, to me, absolutely not. I don't see it. So to, to to be clear, though, Sanford, her husband, Aliza's husband, is described as six foot to six foot one mm-hmm. and heavy set. Yeah, and this person is definitely not heavy set. Like I said, I see a very small individual. Uh, I would even argue on some level like the body is somewhat petite, you know, 
and and, and it's hard to cipher for that because you have, like I said, this jacket is way too big for this individual. Okay, so it's it's a jacket that's meant to be or coat. It's yeah, a jacket or coat that's meant to hang below the waist anyway. But I don't think it is. I don't know if it is or if that's just the size of the, you know, it's well, like, no, and I'm going to agree with you, but, mm-hmm. but like, okay, so the coat that I wore today is very similar to that coat. It has a hood, long sleeves, and it's cut to be, uh, mm-hmm. lower than the waist. Now my coat though, it's m- many people have coats like this. It's intended to be cut to drop just below where your pockets would be on your pants. Right. But this individual, it almost appears like they're wearing that style of coat, but because the coat does not fit them, that the goes it, down further. It almost goes to the knees. Yeah, it, it goes. It goes to the point where you know that this coat is not meant for this in, individual this size. But again, was it was this coat used just for cover up? Possibly also used for protection. You know that you're attacking somebody with a knife, right? So. You're going to use padded, you know, just in case it turns against you. You got padded jacket on, I guess. Not only padded jacket for protection, but the, okay. So it, it's planned picking a dark colored coat, a dark colored jacket and almost all dark colored, um, outfit. Right. That's going to your, the blood that would be on this individual would not be as noticeable. Right. When when fleeing the scene. You're, this this you're person exactly could right. this person could run away at full speed and if they had to continue walking somewhat in the area, they could they could turn a couple corners and then just start walking normally and, and probably fit in as long as they didn't have that mask on. Well let's watch the backside one more time. Cause that left arm see how the right arm just kinda you know runs yeah. I mean, look, I'm going to say this and and somebody's going to write me. It kind of like runs like a girl. And the right arm. When you see the right arm, it's just flailing away. Again, I think this person's running at a speed that they've not run in a long time. They're using that arm to uh, help, balance, with, right, help right. with a little momentum, help with a little balance. But, and, the, but and, look at and, the left arm. When when you see no, the I know. backside of this individual, that left arm doesn't move that's what I'm saying. I'm saying they're overcompensating with their right arm because they have to tuck the murder weapon and mm-hmm. keep it close to their vest or it's in a pocket and they, or, you know what I mean? They're they kind of hugging it to themselves. Or they got hurt themselves and they're holding wherever they're hurt. That's a, that's a possibility. I do want to talk about this though, Captain, um, while we're on the, the video footage itself. Mm-hmm. It has been reported several times that the actual attack is on footage as well. Now, I don't know if that's just a general misconception that something that the media got wrong. Yeah, but we see this all the time with different cases where it's like, uh, look, the Delphi murders case, for for example. I mean, there's all the speculation that there's audio of it, there's video of it. But anytime they get a suspect, they can't seem to pin down the suspect You'd think if there was all this information or all this evidence, that'd be pretty easy to find the right person and lock them down. So not in this situation, but not in this situation though. Right. I agree with you, but it's different here because this first, this person's face looks like it's completely covered almost as if they're wearing like a mask. 
Oh yeah, they're definitely wearing and, a mask. But this is not. But, they're wearing they're wearing but, a ski mask or something. I that, don't even think it's a ski mask because you can't even see like eyes, eye holes, or anything. You can't even see like because even if there was, and maybe even if you put like let's say makeup on, you'd see the whites of the eyes or something. Mm-hmm. This almost looks like you know some Halloween mask or or something that you know. You know, almost like a sheet that they put over their face, but they could see through it enough. Maybe also think, a reason why the person is a little wobbly when they're running because they can't see perfectly. There's a decent chance that Aliza was attacked from behind. Of course, because whoever did this is a coward piece of shit. Um, but, you know, she was stabbed in the neck, stabbed in the arm, the right arm, and then I believe the rest of the stab wounds were to the back. So that would be nine of them. Now, um, what I'm getting at, and the reason why I bring that up, we keep talking about how this person's covered head to toe. And my suspicion earlier that Eliza was trying to communicate something to the man that found her. Do you think that with this individual being covered head to toe, that there's any chance that she may have recognized anything about this person and, and potential that she was trying to communicate who she believed may have attacked her? Yeah, that's a possibility. I think the other possibility, too, is if this, let's say, for example, that this suspect, this person running from the scene, they're the murderer, but they might not have known her. This might have been, let's say, like a hired operation. Okay. But if this person was hired by somebody, then were were they instructed to, hey, before you stab her, say whatever. Does that make sense? Well, I could see that out of anger. And And I know that sounds very Hollywood. But it also sounds incredibly stupid. And I know that most criminals are not, you know, they do make mistakes, and that's why they get caught, thankfully. But it almost seems like you're going above and beyond, you know, hey, say this to her. Right, but if you say this to her, she's going to know who was responsible for this. No, no, I get which that. Is, which is right. That's I get a risk that. that. And I get that. It's, take, right? And I, that's my thing where I'm like, well, that seems totally Stupid. senseless to do. Well, it's sense. Yeah. But to have somebody murdered is senseless too. Well, of course. Right. But what I'm getting at is it's senseless on two. It's senseless times two. And here's what I right. mean by that. Okay. If you hired me to, to do a hit on somebody and you said, Never. Hey, after you're Small plunging, hands. all right, well, then I'll change it. If somebody else hired me to do a hit on somebody, right, and they said, oh, as you're plunging the knife into their back, right, tell them this. Tell them X, Y, and Z. Oh, yeah, don't tell them that. Don't give them a math problem. But, yeah, tell them something. The, the, the crow strikes at midnight. Okay, but you're you're butchering my story here. What I'm getting at is one, it's extremely stupid for the for the person hiring the person to say, yeah. "Hey, say this so that so that by chance they survive." Well, then they can go, "Yeah, that dude hired somebody to kill me because he's the only guy that would say that." Then furthermore, me being the hired hitman, who gives a shit if I actually say X, Y, and Z to that person as I'm plunging the knife in him? If they're dead and it's reported on the news, I can tell the idiot that hired me that I said that to them. Yeah. I'm not going to risk that in case that they survive the attack. Mind you, she was alive when she was found. When she's first found, she was alive. And in my opinion, I believe she was trying to communicate something about the attack itself to the individual that found her. 
right now, I agree. The problem is some stupid individual. If if this is if this is a murder for hire, then some stupid individual hired this person to kill her. They're stupid. So therefore, I wouldn't put it past them to say what I'm getting at is that rather it wasn't something it wasn't specific words that were said, but maybe a voice that was recognized by her. That right. This person could have been covered head to toe and it was somebody that she either knew well or knew somewhat. And look, it, it, this has to be an angry attack, whether you knew her and you and you were doing this yourself or if you were hired to do this, to stab somebody 11 times and attack them in broad right. daylight on the streets. This whether you were angry when you started this attack, you were angry at some point during this attack and you may have said something. You may have said something out of frustration. Maybe mm-hmm. she wasn't going down fast enough for you. Right. And this individual may have said something out of frustration and she may have, Eliza may have recognized the voice. All right. And this has been the first part of a four part series that we're going to do on the investigation into the murder of Eliza Sherman. And we're giving you four parts this week because, well, the captain and Colonel Christmas want <laughs> a, a week off for Christmas, just like everybody yeah, well, else. We want to so. spend a little time with our friends with and the fam fam. Yep. And, uh, and we appreciate everybody listening. We wanted to give everybody, I, a lot of people are traveling, uh, and, Give give you some time to get into the garage, you know. Get some eggnog, warm your feet by the fire, get a little toasty, hang out with your buddies. <laughs> Colonel Christmas and the captain, and, and wish you happy holidays. And because we love all of you out there, we wanted to make sure that we gave you four episodes before we take off. So you can either listen to them as they come out or save them up and binge them all at once. Regardless, if you subscribe to the show, you don't have to keep refreshing your phone waiting for parts two, three, and four to come out. So join us back here in the garage for part two. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? Stir up a Tito's dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. 